Pastor Xavier Ruiz presents the simple truths from the one and only handbook for missions. The pattern of God for missions is that He always initiates, opens doors, works through men, and He always delivers His servants. We just have to get out of the way and let people go who are called. And when they go, we'll know their call by what God does through them. And God gets all the glory. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. As they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. This passage from Acts chapter 13 clarifies the important first steps into the mission field, and that being God's calling a very important simple truth that Pastor Xavier emphasizes for following God's plan for missions. We continue today with more from a study observing the plan, purpose, and pattern of God for those called out by the Spirit. The message is entitled, The God of Missions. Notice here, in chapter 13, verse 4 to 5, they went, Barnabas and Saul, 16 miles west to Cilicia. And from there they sailed to Cyprus, and when they arrived at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogue of the Jew. This became the pattern of Paul, because the Jew had the word of God, went there first. If they could accept the Lord, they would become a vehicle to reach out to others. He always went there, then to the Gentiles. They traveled through the island in verse 5, 90 miles across to the west end, the province capital of Paphos. But there was opposition there in verse 6 and 7. Elam is a sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew, named Bar-Jesus, which is false because that means sons of, son of Yahweh. Uh, really, he's a son of Satan. And um, Sergius Paulus, he's with him. Uh, Sergius Paulus is an intelligent man, one that's prudent. And he calls Barnabas and Saul to hear the word of God. Notice this man wants to hear, here's this man opposing him. Now many kings, many emperors have always had their, their um, soothsayers, their necromancers to, to tell them for the future because they want to stay in power. They want to see the future and stay in, in, in their throne. You see what I mean? Verse 8 through 12, Saul being filled with the Holy Spirit, called blindness down upon this man. He opposes the gospel. In verse 10, he calls him, O fool of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteous, you... Will you not cease to pervert the straight way of the Lord? The straight way, the orthodox way, the correct way, the only way. Verse 12, the council here, Sergius Paulus, believed the gospel of Jesus, being astonished at the teaching of the Lord. Real simple. He receives. Two men. One is soothsayer, here is a ruler. One receives, the other one rejects. Could have the soothsayer gotten saved? Of course, if he repented. It's a choice that's made. Now, when you get to verse 13 of 52, they sailed from Paphos to Perga in Pamphylia on the southeastern coast of Asia, minor, modern-day Turkey. And they departed to Antioch, Pisidia, directing them 100 miles north through the Tarsus Mountains and entered the synagogue of the Sabbath and Paul preached the gospel. All of this is being done by the Holy Spirit directing and guiding them. They didn't have a plan, a strategy. The Holy Spirit is doing the work. So from 15 on down, he, he preaches, he begins with the law, he gives their history, he takes them all the way through David, through whom the Messiah is promised, and he nails them from verse 24 to 41 as Jesus being that promised Savior. He preached Christ Jesus. 
38 and 39, Jesus is the only one that can justify the forgiveness of a person's sins, not the law. You know how radical this is? To walk into a synagogue and say this? From 42 to 52, the Gentiles desire to hear the word of God, it says, the next Sabbath day, and the proselytes were encouraged by Paul and Barnabas to continue in the grace of God. It is the grace of God they're preaching. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And people's hearts are being open to it. God has prepared the heart. God has sent them there. God is doing the work. Now the Gentiles heard. They were glad. In verse 48. And they glorified the word of the Lord as many as were appointed to eternal life. But the Jews. stirred up prominent men and women in the city. To persecute Paul and Barnabas. And expel them from the city. There's always opposition. One way or the other. Where the truth is going to go, the lie is going to confront it, try to oppose it. Now when we get to chapter 14, verse 1 through 6, they moved to Iconium. They entered the synagogue again. Here's the pattern again. Uh, in verse 1, the great multitude of Jews and Gentiles believe. Straight shot. They believe. The gospel. That's what he preached. The gospel. The unbelieving Jew once again stirred up the Gentiles, poisoned their minds against Paul and Barnabas. Nevertheless, they remained for a long time, it says, speaking boldly and witness to the word of his grace, and the Lord granted signs and wonders through them. They move on to Lystra, a crippled man from his mother's womb. And here he gets healed, and they take Paul and Barnabas for gods. The Jews from Antioch, and Iconium arrived and persuaded the multitude to persecute the apostles now. There's the opposition again. They stoned Paul in verse 19, dragged him out of the city, leaving him for dead. Now God allowed him to be stoned. To die. But he allowed him to stay. <laughs> God's time. If God sends you, you're okay. Look at 14.21. They returned the same way they had come, completing the circuit. And they were not only interested in making converts, but cared about strengthening the souls of the disciples. Verse 22 says, They appointed elders at every church, teaching the word of God. First Peter 5, 1-4, very important. They through prayer and fasting commended to the Lord in whom they had believed. So, they provide teaching, they provide elders, and they commend them to the Lord. That is so good. Very important. All the churches that you find in the book of Acts, none of them were ever tied to Paul. Paul was not their Pope. The group of people that got saved, God was sufficient to those people to meet the needs financially and everything, and they were over the church. They gave the new converts to the Lord to whom they belonged to, who was able to care for them. He alone is the chief shepherd. Acts 20, 32, 1 Peter 5, 4. He purchased the church with his own blood. No one else. Look at 24 through 27. They continued on to complete the circuit. They passed through Pisidia to Pamphylia. Verse 24. They preached the word in Perga. Went down to Italia. Verse 25. And later on we'll see towards the end. They didn't preach at the beginning. But on the way back they hit it. Why? Because it wasn't ready. The Holy Spirit knows why. In 26, they sailed back to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work which they had completed. Remember that. They completed it. It was done. Those churches weren't tied 
to the Jerusalem church. They weren't tied to the Antioch church. They were independent. 27, they gathered the church at Antioch and they told them all things. What things? They reported all that God had done with them. It was what God did. And they reported that God had opened the doors of faith to the Gentiles. He had done. They didn't choose those places. And, and, and a lot of these things, remember, they're on, on very important roles. They're commercial cities. They're key cities. And these churches were planted. And then their responsibility would be to evangelize the area. And that's what happens when people are born again. It's not something that we indoctrinate people on. If you're born again, you get in the Word of God, you're going to see this. And you're going to get the Word out. John 3.16 says it all for the purpose of missions. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. And that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then Paul in Romans 10, how will they hear without a preacher? And he sends preachers. Now, there is a new gospel being preached from the pulpit of America to the seeker-friendly church. A sterilized, non-threatening gospel that offends nobody, makes everybody feel good. There's very deliberate design to not mention repentance, sin, fornication, adultery. Everything's real positive. They establish their churches based on church growth principles and marketing. Then there is also the emerging church now movement. Very dangerous. They undermine the authority of the Word of God as being untrustworthy, inaccurate. They believe that we can learn from other religions to get close to God, such as Buddhism, Islam. They believe that people can be spiritual and experience God without having to be born again. Listen to one of their key gurus, Brian McLaren. I'm quoting him, by the way. Though that I don't believe making disciples must equal making adherence to Christian religion, it may be advisable in many, not all circumstances, to help people become followers of Jesus and remain within their Buddhist, Hindu, and Jewish Contest. I don't think so. You, you can continue to be a Buddhist and worship Jesus? A Muslim? A Catholic? And you're adding and contradicting the Word of God? No wonder they call a new reformation. It's anything but a reformation. It's a deterioration of the Scriptures. May, June 2000, issue Watchman's Trumpet Magazine explains... What this new missiology really entails. Missiology, the study of missions. Listen very, very carefully. Quote, several international missions organizations, including Youth with the Mission, YWAM, are testing a new approach to missionary work in areas where Christianity is unwelcome. On March 24, 2000, Charisma News Service report said some missionaries are now making converts but are allowing them to hold on to many of their traditional religious beliefs and practices so as to refrain from offending others within their culture. All of these emerging church practices and teachings are making the way broader than Jesus ever made it. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father by me, John 14, 6. There's no other name given under heaven and earth. Acts 4.12. There's only one meteor between God and man. The man Christ Jesus. 1 Timothy 2.5. Now either Jesus told the truth or he's a liar. They're saying Jesus is a liar. And people are embracing it. Jeremiah was told to shut his mouth and not preach. Or he got thrown in the can. He did. He went to prison. 
He's put in a dungeon. Amos the prophet, <laughs> Amaziah, tells him in Amos 7, 12 through 14, Go you seer, flee to the land of Judah. There eat bread, and there prophesy, but never again prophesy at Bethel, for it is the king's sanctuary, and it is the royal residence. Amos answered and said to Amaziah, I was no prophet, nor was I the son of a prophet, but I was a sheep breeder and a tender of sycamore fruit. He was a fruit picker. Then the Lord took me as I followed the flock, and the Lord said to me, Go prophesy to my people Israel. God sent him. God calls man. Man doesn't choose God to an extent, nor the work. Yet man must exercise his free will by a saving relationship for that meaningful work to take place. But he initiates all the time. Mark 8.34 says, Whoever desires to come after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. Would you agree with me there's a choice there? It's an invitation. You did not choose me, then he says, but I chose you and appointed that you should go and bear fruit. And that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. John fifteen sixteen. Abiding in him. We are fruitful. But that's a choice, right? If you choose not to abide, then you wither, cuts off, goes to the fire, right? It's real simple. God anoints and equips men and women. We've seen this in the book of Acts. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, Acts 1. We've seen it through the book of Acts. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, 13, 14, Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, 10. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, not natural abilities or talents, but supernatural gifts. By having the mind of Christ and putting it on, 1 Corinthians 2, 16, Philippians 2, 5. God is the one who opens doors also. We've seen this. The apostles reported to the church of Antioch all that God had done, Acts 14, 27. All that God had done. Acts 18, 9 and 10. The Lord Jesus told Paul, the second missionary journey, listen to him. Do not be afraid, but speak. And do not keep silent, for I am with you, and no one will attack you to hurt you. For I have many people in this city. He was at Corinth, Remember? So sometimes God says, flee. Other times says, stick around. Other times, he ex- hey, don't, don't move. 1 Corinthians 16, 8-9, the Apostle Paul declared to the Corinthians that a great effective door had been opened to him in Ephesus and that there were many adversaries. They go hand in hand. The Church of Philadelphia, Jesus says that he's the one that has the key of David, the one who opens and no man shuts. See, I have set before you an open door, and no man can shut it. Revelation 3, 7 through 8. God opens the door, we go. He doesn't, we don't go. He's the one that initiates. He's the one that does the work. God does the work through man. We're the instrument. He does it through the process of time, as we've seen. Acts 14, 3. He gives man boldness to... Speak the words, Acts 14.3 again. He bears witness of his, the word of his grace. In Acts 14.3, and he granted signs and wonders. Acts 14.3, he divides men for him or against him. 14.4. It is him who does it. We're just watching what he does. God allows no absolute pattern for success except total and complete dependency on Him then.
This is what we see. In the call to service, to be called out, as we saw in Acts 13.2, by the Holy Spirit. In sending them out at the right time, to the right place, to do the right work, His work, Acts 13.3 and 4. It's His. In the ongoing process for guiding, redirecting, Acts 13 and 14 shows us. Later on, in the second mission journey, the Holy Spirit says, don't go here, don't go there. He hinders them from preaching in Bithynia, in Mysia. As we saw, he did not preach at Perga at first. Why? God is the one directing. He knows. At GPS. Keep that in mind. Pay attention to him. Make a left here. 20 feet. 10. 8. Don't pass it up. And recognizing that every work is unique and should not be depended on for a formula pattern. Like the previous one, for the next one. Very, very clear. All were different. The only common denominator is that we always can count that it's the Word of God that's preached. The conviction comes to the Holy Spirit and God saves no one else. Success should not be viewed according to the mind and the eye of man. For God, in one situation, may do a tremendous work, yet it does not guarantee the same or the identical result the second time. Yet if it is in obedience to the leading of the Holy Spirit, then it will be successful according to God. We get so caught up in the pecking order of preachers and evangelists and size of churches and all of that. Success is measured by our obedience to God and His Word. That's how success is measured, ladies and gentlemen. At Perga, again, no preaching took place. At the arrival, it was passed up. But in the return, it was. Why? Because, well, you know, Paul had more, whatever. The Holy Spirit says nothing, don't say nothing. It wasn't the time, that's all. At Antioch, they were able to leave on their own to Iconium. At Iconium, plans to abuse them and stone them were allowed to be discovered, and they left for Lystra. At Lystra, the violence became so intense that Paul was stoned to death. But God did not allow him to die. At Derby, they made disciples and God allowed them to backtrack to all the cities and to visit them and prepare them in the Word of God. From Perga, they went home safely. The journey is believed to have taken about a year. The second, the third journey is no different than these principles that we've seen through the first one. The places, the people, the circumstances may change a little bit, but the principles are the same, ladies and gentlemen. You understand? And this is the only manual we have to follow. Not the books that we read on church growth, missiology, or anything else. Everything I read, I have to sift through the Word of God. Modern Christianity has corrupted the gospel and missions by westernizing it. We send men that are never called of God. We cripple those men by looking, having them look to us for all their needs, not having them depend on the Lord. We make them deaf, blind, and mute. 
they become a bad example to those they're evangelizing. Because they tell those they're evangelizing to trust God and faith, but they're not trusting God and faith. They're trusting the organization that sent them and the check they get all the time. Now, I understand there may be a few cases, but it shouldn't be the rule. That's not the rule. We don't see it in the book of Acts. I know there are faithful, godly men and women out there. And thank God for them. We're not speaking against them. We're speaking against the systems that have been set up by men. Please understand me. Okay? Paul did not seek financial help. Though he had the right to minister and to receive, he worked with his hands. We see this clearly in 1 Corinthians 9 and 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 7 and 8. And Paul didn't receive gifts from his converts. Though he did receive a few from Philippians, right? But he didn't receive money from his converts. And he didn't take money to his converts. We never find that in scripture. He let them be dependent upon God. From the community and the congregation that God raised up. In fact, Paul apologized to the Corinthians for one thing. I'm sorry that I didn't take money from you. Second Corinthians 11, 8. He said that the offerings and the things that would be done through the congregation would be sufficient. Galatians 6, 6, 1 Corinthians 8 and 9, and 1 Timothy 4, 5, 14. Each church is independent and it will be sufficient for the work that God calls them. But if we start to build a kingdom apart from God, then we have to do all kinds of sales pitch to raise money, don't we? The only offering Paul took was for the poor saints of Jerusalem. It's the only one. We make the converts in the mission field to be financially dependent on us for their existence. And we take the place of Christ. Alan says again, listen, in his book, Day by day and year by year, there comes to us an unceasing appeal of, for men, money, for the same missions to which we have been supplying men and money for the last 50 to 60 years. And there seems at present little hope that the demand will change its character. He was a missionary to China and many other places. This man knows what he's talking about. We attempt to control mission churches by Western pastors, providing all the Western comforts rather than allowing the indigenous pastors to take them. And we send a Western pastor and we make them live above in the Western style so it's a hindrance to the gospel rather than living among the people. And then handing that church over to the indigenous so that it becomes their church, not ours. And they depend upon God, not us. God saves people. He is sufficient for His church through His Word, His Holy Spirit, and prayer. If He could save people like you and I and raise up a church right here, don't you think He can do that in Cali? In Mexico or anywhere else? Of course he can. <laughs> we just have to get out of the way and let people go who are called. And when they go, we'll know their call by what God does through them. The pattern of God for missions is that he always initiates, opens doors, works through men, allows no patterns, and he always delivers his servants. If you want to learn about missions, study the Bible. First-hand experience. The original manuscript. This is the plan of God for missions. The purpose of God for missions. And the pattern of God for missions. The closer we stick to it, the better off we are. And others. And we have to put no burden on anybody. And we hinder nobody. And God gets all the glory. I can handle that. That's what we want to do. 
just what he wants to do. Pastor Xavier Reese, drawing the simple truth study to a close, summarizing God's formula for success in the mission field. Now, copies of today's study titled The God of Missions are available on CD for just $4. And this will include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So once again, the title to ask for is The God of Missions, or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. When you do the math, it's the cross plus nothing that equals salvation. Next time, Pastor Xavier Reese breaks down how to secure eternity with Jesus to its simplest terms, God's grace. Hope you'll invite a friend to join us for the next Simple Truths. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 